Hi, everybody. Welcome to a special. It's not that special. but this It's is, pretty spooky <laughs> special. The Halloween edition of, of the, the two, two half squads. Very scary boys and girls. You know, we always go to the same voices. I think we should come <laughs> up with some new voices. Yeah. Dracula is the only but, one with a voice. Here, I'm going to do the Invisible no, Man. It, I'm going to do the Invisible Man. Welcome, everybody, to the two half squads. I'm Invisible. Do you like it? <laughs> no. Okay. Okay, how about, um, who, who else is scary? We only did these voices, like, one other time we did a Halloween show. Oh, is that it? Yeah, out of Maybe I've five listened, years. I've listened, it's the one I've listened to twice. <laughs> you haven't heard any of them twice. <laughs> no. But lest you be confused about what this is, this is the one and only podcast dedicated to the scariest game in the world. Advanced squad leader. Really scary game. Yes, master. Yes. yes. <laughs> Abby. Abby normal. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And today is, it's mid-October. We are coming up here on Halloween in the Northern Hemisphere, in the Southern Hemisphere. I don't know what they call it. Probably Halloween. Yeah, it's a yeah. uniquely American holiday, isn't it? No, I don't think so. Is it? I you're looking think, at you've got that look in your I eye. I think it like is. You no, know, you're asking I, me to see if I know. I don't think they do it in other countries much. I'm fail the question. No. Well, they do other stuff. Don't they do something else? <clears throat> in Mexico, don't they run around with? That's with the those d- scary... Day of the Dead. That's yeah. that's um, different time of year. Oh, I think. Guess I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've done our research. <laughs> Not at all. But Dave's going to look that up while I entertain you with a, a Halloween story from my ute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell us. <laughs> I don't have any Halloween stories. However, I do remember being traumatized, as only a, as only a young lad can, in this way. Uh, it was back when I was just in uh, kindergarten, I believe. And I had I went to a kindergarten, and I had no friends there, because nobody in my kindergarten lived around me. So I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody at that school. And there was a Halloween it was party coming up. And I said to Mom, Mom, I need a Halloween costume. So she took me to the store, because that's what you did in those days, to get me a Halloween costume. And I picked out a wonderful pirate mask, very scary pirate mask. But they didn't have the matching outfit to go with it. Um, all they had were clown suits. So, being so small, I didn't really notice the difference. So I said, well, this, let's just get this, Mom, and, and the pirate mask and the clown suit. So I got the pirate mask and clown suit and proudly went to school wearing that. And during the Halloween parade, where we paraded around to the other classrooms, people were pointing at me and laughing at me. And as we walked through, one kid said, you know, that's a clown suit with a pirate mask. And I was I was just like, oh, man, this is not as cool as I thought it was going to be <laughs> by a long shot. And how do you feel about that, I Jeffrey? Felt, well, Dave, I felt very small, and I felt embarrassed, humiliated. And it, it really put a spin on my whole life. A terrible, yeah. a terrible spin that I never recovered from. But a pirate mask... But a pirate's face is like a normal human face. Couldn't you just have put a patch on your eye and had a pirate face? I, I was five. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't occur to me. 
But what does occur to me now is that when I think about that mask, it's all the wonderful things I could do behind that mask. It's very freeing to have a mask on, isn't it? It is. Nobody knows who I am. I can do whatever I want. Still carry these feelings of freedom with you from your childhood? Freedom. Freedom. I remember being a ghost in a white sheet and a cowboy girl who I liked. She was a nice gal. You were a cowboy Uh, girl? No. Oh, you were a ghost in a white sheet. Yep. Okay. But she accidentally hit me with her gun twirling her gun around in a oh, lip. Yeah. Oh. So I was a ghost with a bloody lip. Oh, the red on even the bad time. Well, maybe. I was kind of like, oh, I really didn't want to be a ghost with a bloody lip. But <laughs> I am now. <laughs> Day of the Dead in Mexico, November 1st, 2015. Uh, November 1st. Oh, yeah, right. Right after All Hallows' Eve. So, yeah. Yeah, that is tied right in there. Yeah. Then the other uh, Halloween story I have is when I was in fifth grade, I had this great idea that I could make my own costume, so my friend Chris Parker and I decided we were going to be mummies. That was going to be the best costume ever. So we went and got some old sheets, and we cut them into strips. Gold sheets? Old sheets. We made sure we didn't get the kind with the the rainbows on them and stuff. (laughs) Just regular white sheets. (laughs) Cut them into strips. Wrapped our legs with them. Wrapped our bodies with them. Arms everything my sister helped us and I got all wrapped up and I was it was ready to go Chris and I were ready to go and I took like one step and it all it, <laughs> just unraveled it all just unraveled and fell at my feet in a big pile <laughs> and so my sister wrapped me again and then she got out the stapler and she was stapling each each wrapping round to my pants but I took about ten steps, and there was it was unraveling, and <laughs> I was horrible. Fortunately, there was one sheet left, so I threw it over my head, cut two holes in the eyes, and when it's a ghost, <laughs> I could see the ghost is very. It's a classic. It is a classic. It's the go-to. Aaron was a stop sign. Ah, one a stop Halloween. sign. Yeah, and he was running. I made the sign for him, and like a you know one of those billboards you hang on your body. Yeah. And he would be running to keep up with the other boys, and his knees kept hitting the stop sign and slamming it into his chin. (laughs) (coughs) Poor guy trying to run and keep up. Stop sign outfit. Yeah, that's... Wow. But the mummy thing... Witness... Jeffrey Hallett thinks he's doing a podcast tonight. Couldn't be more wrong. The the mummy thing at the fraternity, we resurrected the night on the Nile party that they had. Oh. In the past, we saw pictures like from the 50s in the attic. Oh, in the attic. <laughs> well, and there were some other secret photos up there that yes, no, I'm sure. no one's allowed to see. Except members, but... And we're like, what is this party with this obelisk and this Egyptian thing and Night on the Nile party? Why don't you guys do that? And we're like, well, you're the freshman. Why don't you guys put on for us? And we did. It was great. I got to be the mummy. Oh, and they literally carried me to all the sororities in a casket and set me down. And my mummy wrappings were really cool. I don't know how we did them different, but full makeup and everything. Wow. And they lowered me down and then... <laughs> Got to open the casket <gasps> and come out with the invitation to the sorority <sighs> and shamble up to the door as all the women were coming out gathered for the yeah and uh, hand them the invitation and I go back into the casket. I oh, I got into it a little too much. Oh, I'm sure. Like I like yeah I be, like became that mummy. Okay, and so I enjoyed let, being carried around voice. in the casket. Let's hear the no, mummy no voice. voice. The mummy There's doesn't no vo- talk. No, the mummy doesn't talk. Dang it. So you got to go back to Dracula if you're going to talk to meet any of the girls. <laughs> so that's a kind of Halloween story. Yeah. But that was I really cool. In fact, that I sounds kinda, pretty cool. kind of like to do it again. Yeah, actually. I think you, we should relive that occasion when, if that should ever, if the opportunity ever should arise. 
So what else is going on, Dave? Not much. I've got one other little thing going on. Maybe uh, our listeners could help us. Mm-hmm. I've decided um, that in order to, you know, my never-ending quest to improve my English and to improve the English language in general, mm-hmm. I've made it my my uh, goal to come up with a better word than restroom. This came up the other day because I needed to excuse myself and I didn't want to say I need to go to the restroom. Yeah, I don't like bathroom or restroom. I don't rest. I don't rest while I'm in there. I don't take a bath when I'm in there. Yeah. And men's room, you know, I'm going to the men's room. You know, it's not, some places it isn't necessarily a men's room. It might be unisex. And I don't like lavatory. Do you like lavatory? No one uses lavatory. That's why. My dad used to say lavatory. Yeah, I'm going to the, I'm going to the lavatory. I always thought people were saying lab, laboratory. Yeah, I know. That's what I, I'm going to the laboratory. Which makes sense if you're that guy, Igor, for instance. <laughs> but So I, I've got a, a problem with that. So I, I've come up with three words. Now, I, I put this out on Facebook and somebody said, why don't you just call it the throne or the, the Oval Office? Uh, no, too, uh, too campy or campy, yeah. informal. And, I, and plus... If you're going to use a euphemism like that, you run into this problem with uh, ambiguity. So if the president says, I'm going to the Oval Office, Secret Service isn't sure which one. Yeah, that could be confusing. Is he going to that one? Is he going to go to the other one? How are we going to find him? Yeah, that wouldn't be good for national security. Someone could run right up to the White House and run right in with a knife. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And they'd all be thinking, where's the Oval Office? (laughs) So I've come up with three words to replace... Mm-hmm. The bathroom, etc. <clears throat> See what you think of these. Uh, thinking of the Colosseum in Rome, I thought the Piaceum. <laughs> uh huh. So that's that's number one. Number two, the Flushateria. <laughs> I kind of like that because it says what you're doing. Now, my daughter, it I makes I was me think my of daughter food about though, it, or something. She said, "What if you don't flush?" <laughs> And the other was the Splashatorium. Hmm. Got any favorites there? I think I'm leaning towards Splashatorium. Yeah, I think so too. I kind of like that one, Splashatorium. Going to the Splashatorium. Yeah, that could work. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, members of Congress, I'm going to the Splashatorium. They know. They know where he's going. (laughs) They know where to look for him. Don't look for me in the Oval Office. I'll be in the Splashatorium. That could work. This is good beer. Thank you for bringing the uh, little Killian's, Killian's red, red for yeah. a nice autumn. Yeah, leaves are turning, the wind is blowing. It is. It's a blustery day. It is, and the leaves Dark flying and all over. Stormy night. It was got sunny there in the in the after, early afternoon. Yeah, very enjoyable to be outside. Yeah, and then getting all windy and stormy, and the Cubs were tied last thing I time I checked. For you baseball fans, those scary Cubs. Well, boys and girls, what do we have for the show tonight? Well, D- Dave, we've got a short show, maybe? I don't know. It's our Halloween special, but we have got something very special. We have a little What You Been Playing Lately and a little look at Journal 2 and Yay. maybe Train Time, but I doubt it. Yeah. And, uh, and then next time we're going to have the... Part 2. Part 5 of the hundred of the be- greatest hits. Oh, right. Of greatest hits. Of the two half squads. That's right. Keep singing, kids. I'm looking forward to that. This is the theme from Poltergeist. And then we have part two of... Of uh, Boats, etc. Boats, etc. With Rich uh, and Rich Zach and will be back. Zach. Yep. Boy, we've really planned out ahead. This we've, is we've rare for us. Should we announce what we've got coming up after that? The uh, Our other show? We sh- we are... It is finally official. Well... Yes. <laughs> It's 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 a, it's about as official as Jeff and Dave ever get. We Which will be doing the book movie review show. Yeah, and it may start military books. We're not limiting it to World War II because I can't just right. read that. I'm kind of going through that period. Yeah, I'm kind of leaving that period of my life, and we may expand it out even larger. But we're looking forward to it. And the first book and movie we're going to do, excuse me, is the book is The Last Citadel by David L. Robbins. And the movie will be 
Cross of Iron. Yes. By which, Sam Peckinpah. Which I gotta still find. Peckinpah? Yeah, Sam Peckinpah. Black and white movie? No. Oh my gosh. It's color. Oh. Listen, I had a whole wrong imagining of what that film would look like. Oh. Well, it's colorful. <laughs> Yeah, there we go, folks. Done. We're almost done with our reading, so for sure we're going to be recording. But we probably won't post the show until we get several episodes done. That's what we did with the uh, half squads. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. We, <laughs> with the half squads, we, we had all? four shows, and then we launched. We did, yeah. I don't know why. That was your idea. But, but now but now we're seasoned veterans of the podcast. True. We could put them out as they go. True. And what they think that does is I think it takes those reviews out of this show. Yeah, we probably would not be doing movie reviews and book reviews. Well... Shall we go into... What have you been playing lately? What have we been playing, Jeff? Well, I'm glad that we finally did get around to playing something from the zombie pack. We did. The Killing Fields. Yes. I didn't bring it. Do you have it somewhere? We don't need it. We don't need it. We remember it very well, don't we? It's about zombies. It was the one where the British... Jeff played the British units. They were the National Guard. They had some machine guns, two machine guns, and um, two mortar, big mortar, right? Yeah, big And mortar. there's Pretty a woods mortar. along the one side and the woods along the other edge of the board opposite. Three mortars. Three mortars? Yeah, yeah. Didn't I try shorting you on one of those two when, <laughs> right. when, I, when I got out the pieces for you? And the zombies were coming across the field. That's why it's called the Killing Fields. Massive line of zombies coming across. And uh, how did you find the... We had a few questions on the rules. Zombies, the Japanese used the elite and first line. Oh, yeah. Half squads. We had them go to half squads and full squad. Then they... Half squads were the second line, so you had to keep track of that. I think the numbers fit there very well. It's always neg two to shoot at the zombies because they're just lumbering at toward you. Yes, and the zombies have to move toward the closest enemy unit like in line a of sight. Berserk charge, but they only move three. They're always considered berserk, right? So their morale was up, I think, or no? They're dang. <laughs> But anyway, they're treated as berserk. Okay, found the pack here. This is by Eastside Gamers, by the way. And this is still for sale on the Eastside Gamers website. If you go to eastsidegamers.net and look for the word zombies, you'll probably zero in on it pretty easily. Aren't there two packs? Uh, I think there's just the one. And this is for sale for some... uh, Actually, I don't see the price on here, but... Zombie pack one, the most fun you can have. Oh, it's $8. That's all? $8. That's a great deal. And $45 for shipping. (laughs) So there's five scenarios in here, or six, I guess it is. Six, yes. And yes, yes, we played the Killing Fields. Six. So here we go. Yeah, so I played the National Guard, which uses the British counters, and had a nice uh, 76-millimeter mortar. Beautiful. Three of them. What happened to your two machine guns? I broke them. Both of them. Yes. Good thing. You still managed to win, though, didn't you? So you set up a... Across on the other side of the board as the zombies kind of set up in a long line. Coming and across. came marching across at me. And I couldn't uh, kill you fast enough. No, the zombies should get in to do some combat. They got to go to close combat. They that's, can't shoot, of course. Yeah, that's really where you where it becomes hard is when they when you get into close combat with them. Yeah, for the humans. For the humans. But uh, also the British could move. And that's one of the tricks is to just keep moving out of range of the right. zombies. And one thing we... Just like in real life. We forgot one of the special rules, which made it fun for me as the British, <laughs> because I didn't have this restriction. But in this particular scenario, the human player must make a die roll every uh, rally phase. This is the maximum number of human multi-man counters that can move that turn, whereas I was moving everybody. So as you closed in on me, I kind of scooted out through a little hole in the line in the line that's one of the tricks i think for the national guard would be to be sure to blast a hole in the line yeah instead of blasting every other hex of zombies right oh yeah because right which ended up working i don't know if you were planning that uh yes i was (laughs) of course i was 
And the mortars weren't as effective as I thought they would be. No, they really weren't. Blowing yeah. up in, in the air, but yeah. And you rolled a lot of low rolls in that game. I did a lot, and I did a some spray fire with the here and there. And I did spray and fire because I knew you'd be wa- you'd have to walk through it because you were coming forced to, to come yeah. straight at me. And uh, some of those were were pretty good. So yeah, I that one turned out well. I liked playing that one because I won probably. But fun. Would you play another one of these with me before We're playing Halloween? all of them, aren't oh, we? We're going in, ro- in a row? That's how... These will be great for Christmas, too, then, right? That's... If we just put on the right music, <laughs> who's going to know? You know, that's how Dave does things. Yes. Yeah. To, if I can that's just true. finish the six, then yeah. I can be done with the pack. We won't call it zombies after Halloween. We'll call it turkeys. Like we'll the invasion of the turkey war. Yeah. And then for Christmas, we'll pretend they're moving snowmen. Yes. Who are marching toward people to kill them and yes. eat their brains. Yes. And that'll work well for Christmas. It'll yeah. work well for Thanksgiving. Yep. If we go into January, we'll just... I think they could be zombies again. I'm just wearing, like, New Year's hats. Perfect. Yeah. And singing Old Lang Syne as they, as they march up yeah. to, to their deaths. Yeah. That would be the way we'll handle it. All right. <clears throat> and one of, well, one of these had boats. Zombies in boats? Too. Yeah. So it'll tie in well with the Spilky uh, shows. Um, boats. The... Yeah, you, you got to escape. The humans have to get across the waterway safely in the one. And there's a little variety in there of the zombies. Yeah, zombies. They're all messed up. They are very messed up. And he's got really fun to read notes in this, by the way. And Yeah, it's very entertaining. And only two pages of rules. I mean, and, yeah, easy to play. You don't need to know a PTO. But you do need to have Japanese counters. I had this album as a kid. I was very into monsters. I actually would like listen to it. It had several songs on it in the Karloff voice. I was working in the lab late one night with my eyes beheld an eerie sight. The slab began to rise, and suddenly, to my surprise, yes, I know the lyrics. Are we on to Journal 2? Let's go to Journal 2. One of my favorite journals after Journal 1. All right, boys and girls. So, here we are, ASL Journal 2, and this came out in, like, 1999, oh, two, I think. 2000, like it says here, copyright 2000. Boy, I was way off. Cover art, David Pentland. We already covered that in one of the previous show because that was on a... Wait a minute. Yeah, we did all the box art. Yeah, we did I think the we journal did. arts, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, and this is a nice, loaded little magazine, uh... View from the Mound by Kurt Schilling. I, it looks like I highlighted some parts to read to you, Jeff. Oh, you're going to read to me? Yes. I can't wait. Are you ready? I am. Then we'll begin. Over the past three months, MMP has taken an even larger step into the wargaming hobby through our recent agreement with Hasbro that will allow MMP via license to work on former Avalon Hill titles that many folks thought dead, such as Panzer Blitz, Panzer Leader, Upfront, Breakout Normandy. Did you know that? No. Yeah. Do I know it now? Yes. Have they actually made those games too then? Are they all available again? Yeah, I think so. Well, and over here, he says, Chaz Smith and Sam Tyson, formerly known as Bounding Fire Productions, were enthusiastic about working with us and submitting some of the articles and scenarios seen here. And look for more from these guys. And Australia's Paddington Bears have been highly receptive to discussions about the same thing. And the Bunker Dudes in Western Massachusetts and our other contributors along the lines. MMP has engaged services of Mike Reed, playtest chief of the former Kinetic Energy. Mike will head up the thankless job of playtest coordinator for MMP, and we are currently trying to strike a deal with the entire body of Kinetic Energy work. Why do they call it, and not. Why do they call it a thankless job? Because no one ever said Have you ever written them a thank you card? I never ever. have, but it's have not, not my responsibility. Let somebody else do it. We thank them with our hard-earned <laughs> money. No, oh. wait, the playtesters don't get money. No, they don't. We should write a thank you card. Can you put that on the to-do list? Yeah, I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Like then, Kinetic we'll Energy was, was a producer of of stuff. I have most all their stuff. I've never even heard of Kinetic yeah. Energy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lots of special rules. I remember, and I played a lot of it. Um, now that never happened though. They they have not published the entire body of Kinetic Energy work. There was never any question about Kinetic Energy's commitment to quality ASL. So I thought I'd point that out to a lot of they're getting. Coordinating with a lot of the clubs, I don't know. Has that gone well for them over the years, or is it less of a less mm. of a priority? Do you think? Yeah, or is there just so. so much to make that everyone's still making their own stuff in addition to MMP taking? Yeah, I don't know. It's too here? complicated a question for me tonight, Dave. Could well, you try to keep it simpler. Okay, I'll go to this next thing. I had a hard day. Uh, geomorphic map boards with. Uh, Accompanying scenarios as well as one or more historical ASL maps with scenarios and campaign games in a booklet. Counters are a possibility. The first they're talking about what they're going to plan to be doing. First battles to receive this treatment will be Guadalcanal with Edson's Ridge and Hell's Corner. Now that happened, right? Yeah. And on the horizon for 2001, we can see introductory ASL making its way to the forefront. Mm-hmm. That happened, right? Yeah. And a long-awaited, highly anticipated Central Stalingrad historical from Tom Morin and the Bunker Dudes. Ah, the Bunker Dudes, yeah. And that happened? Yes, it did. Uh, Canada's own Jim McLeod as well, Jim McLeod. Uh-huh. Good save. And secondly, they want to say thanks to Luann Yuse. Yous. If you've ever placed a phone call to MMP or received an order from us, you've been witness to a person's tireless efforts to maintain customer service and support. What she has accomplished is nothing short of amazing. Hats off to Lou Ann. And lastly, to John Hill, Don Greenwood, Bob McNamara, Charlie yeah, Kibler. We need to interview this Kibler, Greenwood, and McNamara. I'm putting this on the to-do list. Uh, right next to sending the thank you is uh, take our hats off. And, and, and we should interview Kurt Schilling. Oh, yeah, definitely. He can't wait to meet us. I'm sorry. And I'm sure of that. You know why I highlighted reading that Luann Yous? Yous? No. I loved calling. I just loved calling an order in to Avalon Hill. And this was now, she's that before her day. Did you ever? No, you never called. You used to call on the phone, place your order. Give them your credit card number. You're one of those I, scary guys that calls why. on the phone. <laughs> it would, that Who's to me, I have calling? really fond memories of calling and saying, "Hi, I'd like to order this product. Here's my credit card info." <laughs> Meanwhile, they're at the office. They're like, "There's that phone ringing again. Oh my god! Don't answer it." Now, what was I what, ordering what did you from like about what, what? I thought I bought everything at ProSex Hobby Shop. What, what, what was so was great I about ordering? I still don't get what was so great about ordering on the phone. I don't know. I would just get excited. I was ordering ASL stuff. Hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. how weird I am. Yeah. <laughs> I would never, I don't think I ever ordered on the phone. Except one time I decided when I was in eighth grade, I was such a geek. <laughs> I decided I needed a Geiger counter. <laughs> Sounds like you. Yeah. Because I thought, oh, that'd be cool. I can go around in the backyard and <laughs> look for you. Look for uranium. Oh my god! I actually did. So I called a, a local science science. I, I like opened the phone book and went to science uh, equipment manufacturers. And I found some company called Perkin Elmer. I don't know. They might still be in business. And you still remember their names? Yeah. That's so how excited you were to do that. Yeah. See what I'm talking about? So I called and I said, uh, "I'm I'm wondering, can I ask if I can ask a question about something?" And she said. Yeah, about what? I said, do you make Geiger counters? <laughs> I mean, she probably thought, what the Did heck? Did they have one? What? Uh, in fact, they do not sell Geiger counters. Oh, oh no, I feel all sorry for yeah, little Yeah, and Jeff. don't you feel sorry for me? Yeah. That was tr- traumatic. Very well, traumatic. and my other cool thing was when I ordered the Planet of the Apes models, I still, this was <laughs> like from like Famous Monsters magazine. Right? And yeah. Planet of the Apes model kits. Now, I had a cool toy store down the road. I remember buying, I guess I got most of the Aurora kits from them over down there. That was a cool shop. And my first bison model kit, the original one I had. Oh. And the red-tailed deer, white-tailed deer. 
Yeah. <laughs> but the Apes kits, for some reason, maybe they weren't because they were from Adar Company. It was like a knockoff. Of, it was they tried to do like the Aurora stuff. Um, I think some of the Aurora employees had gone over there. The kits were never quite as good on the animation look of them. A little stiff for a for a kit, but so yeah, I had I ordered them in the mail. <laughs> I remember the 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 UPS guy pulling up in a truck. Oh yeah, yeah. I was in the yard when he pulled up, oh. and I looked over and I'm like, oh, it's got to be the Planet of the Apes kits. <laughs> That's like getting squad leader stuff now. Yeah, there you it's see. It's still see? exciting. Well, now, next in this little magazine, back to Journal 2. Historical background background on Kakazu Ridge. And who wrote that one, Jeff? I did. Oh, no, Dan Dolan did. How'd you know that? I kind of remember that. Good memory. I circled yeah. it right here. Oh, yeah, there there look at it. By Dan Dolan, I kind of forgot. Well, we interviewed Dan. We did. And yeah. he says that this... It, it, it is at this point that MMP and I began our presentation of the actions on and around Kakazu Ridge. Allow me for a moment here to explain how this project came to be. Publication of Kakazu Ridge brings the fruition of labors of many people. Myself and Don Petros, creator of the map, included among them. I had submitted a group of scenarios to Avon Hill several years ago, and so on. So that's a little background on that. He's got a nice little historical article on this this has the kakazu ridge map with it and i don't remember if it came with counters uh, i don't remember yeah i don't think japanese so. came with something but anyway yeah, i don't know you got the gorge you, you can got... still get journal too they've reprinted it yeah because yeah. it had kakazu ridge I think. I think maybe that's why yeah you got the Hoss aside, turning off the spigot, Kakazu's tombs. Played all these with Dave Timonen. Now, those look tough. Kakazu's tombs, I'm just looking at that one. Um, there's caves in that one, right? You bet. You've got to know, if you're going to play any of this, obviously, you've got to know. You've got to have the Japanese. You've got to know your PTO rules. And you, I think you've got to be ready to play caves. You've got caves in there's all There's caves in here. Yep, that's the whole point of the ridge. Yeah. And hey, they'd be good, good ones to learn the cave rules on. Yeah, they're lengthy, but you can do it, people. You can do it, kids. It's just caves. Nothing to be frightened of. Come into the cave. In fact, you have an article by... Come into the cave. Assaulting a Cave Complex. A one-turn study of Kakazu Ridge. Written by who? J.R. Tracy. Another person we interviewed. So here's a nice article, folks, to help get you into the caves. Oh, this is the theme from Jaws, not the caves. That's okay. I beg your pardon. It's still scary. And clearing Kakazu scenario. And then we have some other ones. The Pinnacle by Dan Dolan. Mersenhausen Zoo by Chaz Smith. Guns of Naro by Chaz Smith, and then a tactical analysis by Matt Shostak. Another one we interviewed. A very, very good, 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 close, Man. close, close friend of ours. Did we interview Chaz Smith? No. No. Wow. So far, all that we've interviewed so many people. And he's talking here about. Uh, a look at this. Well, it's obviously an analysis of the scenario. I didn't, apparently didn't highlight anything in here. On his... Uh, but... Now, I, I read that article, and he talks about... Uh, well, he doesn't talk about... Let's see. He I talk, remember playing this. He talks about how to play it, and I, I like the fact that it uses board nine. And he mentions the fact that this is not a board that you use a lot. It doesn't get a lot of play. Because there's these... But there's these interesting hills and crags and little rocky outcroppings and things like that, which is which is very cool. And the Americans versus the Italians on the island of Sicily. And it looks very fun. There's a there's a later uh, follow up there, Evolution at Naro by Russ Bunton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he talks about how this was uh, apparently this was a earlier scenario that they made some changes to for the journal. For the Italian? Yeah. For for this scenario, they added an entry point for the Americans because it was too easy for the Italians to win. The The Americans come in at, at a very narrow entry point, and they really get blasted if the Italians are aggressive. 
and there's not much left for the of the Americans, ah. you know, if they get on a roll. So, hundred hundred millimeter artillery guns. Yeah, and <clears throat> some fighter bombers. Oh, I'd forgotten that. Yep, nasty. So, and then we have an article by Robert Delwood. Don't know him. Haven't interviewed him. No. Talking about solitaire ASL. Did you buy solitaire ASL? Do you have it? I had it and I sold it on eBay. Ah, how long ago? A tidy little profit. Yeah. And then I rebought it when when they offered the bag because we started doing the podcast. Oh, yeah. And I thought maybe I should have this. If they I'm bought. Be they, doing a yeah. show about this. They had it in a bag from MMP, right? Like they found a bunch in the bathroom, or I mean the, uh, the, uh, the Splashatorium. Oh, I thought you were calling it the Schlossenhausen. Oh, that's a good one. I I don't think I could say that Too if I German. drank a lot of uh, had a lot of dairy. So flushateria. I'm, I'm going to the Schlossenhausen <laughs> and cut off my Schlossen. <laughs> Hope I don't vomit. Yeah. <laughs> so you bought one of those bags from them. I did. So I have it again. Sell. Although I sold a lot of good little bits and pieces I had gathered. And are, are they there. still? Making scenarios, anybody for solitary ASL? I never, I don't think I ever see anything, but you know better than I. Mm, not too yeah. much. Now, I I liked this article. I thought it was really interesting. He talks about the the type. The title of the article is SASL. Solitary ASL is not ASL, and he makes some arguments that it is markedly different. And I guess I I think <clears throat> I guess in a lot of ways it is, but it, to me it's also still ASL. Well, so yeah. I don't want to be contrary, but to, yeah, <laughs> it is still ASL. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of differences, uh, but he he makes some uh, very good arguments about why it's such a good system, why it works the way it does. The he thinks the uh, the artificial intelligence built into it that you use for rolling for the enemy and the different tables that you can use and the different uh, oh another beer for Dave. Wow, they're going fast. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's, I don't have another one for you. Sorry. Right. I'll get one from upstairs. Brought an odd number. I have a water if you like that. But he makes it a very compelling argument to play this. Makes me want to play it. Well, I'm afraid I won't be able to play it with you. No, because it's solitaire. Because it's solitaire. Yeah. I would have to play I, by I've myself. done at least a dozen solitaire games. Oh, yeah. Games. Okay. Yeah. How sad. Maybe eight. How very sad. That's very lonely. Yeah. But, you know... But this idea of, do. The idea of the command control, I thought, was really interesting. The fact that you need to keep your squads close to leaders, otherwise they're more likely to panic and do something naughty. So you have to keep everybody kind of clustered together, and uh, I don't know, just sounded good. And the fog of war, fog of war is there. Uh, yeah, concept is yeah. is really good. I'm I'm guessing there's a lot more rolling, obviously, than you would do. It uh, didn't strike me as quite that much because you're taking away all your opponents. Well, there's less. Well, your opponent's doing less. He's doing. You know less. what I mean? So he doesn't have as many options yeah. because it's it's programmed in the things he's got to do. But then the dice adds some variety to that. Yeah. But you, I mean, you're not even not only need to roll for yourself, but you need to roll for the other side. Correct. So if you've got a weak wrist, <laughs> it's probably not the thing you want to tackle. But it looks good. Makes me want to. Makes me want to play that. And there's a little little article about ASL on the internet, internet, and it lists about six websites there, places where you can go and sign up and meet other oh, players yeah. and stuff like that. This I is... tested all of those. You did? Yes, yeah. and they are they are all defunct. The crossroads, yeah, I think gone. so. The mailing list, yeah. Yeah, gone. ASL bulletin board, gone. Oh, Vassal is still there. I think that website points to the new Vassal website. The gamers.net. Yeah. Vassal. And the first one, the advancedsquadleader.com, now points to the MMP website. Ah. Oh. But the rest of them, gone. I mean, that's that's the way it is with technology. Although. Sorry, guys. Mm-hmm. Although. I thought. Mm-hmm. I see. No, never mind. Okay. I, okay. Well, we'll come anything back Anything else that. on that, Jeff? Um, no. How about designer notes for Pegasus Bridge by Tim Van Sant? We've not interviewed him either. No. Interesting article. I wrote a... Oh, I have one little thing to read. 
Uh, yes. Or two. The... 7th Parachute Battalion was relieved of defense of the bridge near midnight, climaxing almost 21 hours of continuous fighting for Pines Coffin's men, along with Major Howard's company. They had survived not only ground attacks, but also dealt with gunboats on the canal, frogmen intent on destroying the bridge, and a rare appearance in the evening by a German fighter bomber whose bomb struck the bridge control tower but inexplicably failed to explode. I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, and lucky. Frogmen? Yeah, how about that? Intent on destroying the bridge. It's perfect for Halloween. Frogman. I can just imagine them, kind of like a Cthulhu kind of creature coming out of the oh, water. yes. <clears throat> Attacking the humans. Making horrible croaking sounds. Uh, <laughs> that's a horrible croaking sound. Uh. Now, he did point out the final version of Pegasus Bridge lacks the river bridge as well. Early maps included the river bridge and several hexes, or these two bridges, I guess, on the eastern bank of the Orne River. The original version of the assault scenario, Ham and Bloody Jam, included the glider landing at the river bridge. The utility of this map section was over once the Orne River Bridge was seized, though, and a little combat there. Moreover, the flavor of the ASL combat at the River Bridge, renamed Horsa Bridge after the war, was adversely affected by the nearness of the map edge as well. A little room for maneuver. So that's some of the things that go on when you're designing a map. Deciding what to have and not include in it. Yeah. And this uh, article was a kind of a comparison of what really happened, the, the actual historical events, with what happened in the movie, A Bridge Too Far, and also the book. Uh, was the book called Pegasus, Pegasus Bridge? Yeah, by yeah, Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose, I read that one. And then how they took all of those things and had to make some changes in order to fit them into the construct of the Pegasus Bridge, bridge uh, campaign game, because obviously they couldn't fit all the things that went on, so they had to kind of compress things and make little sacrifices here and there. So there are no frogmen in the Pegasus Bridge campaign game or any of the scenarios. That's a darn shame. <laughs> Could have had some Jacques Cousteau stuff going on there. No, Bridge Too Far was at Arnhem. Has there been a movie of Pegasus Bridge? Oh, as part of um, the movie you, you didn't like as much as I did. Oh, yes. The Longest you're Day. You're right, The Longest Day. I Yes, you're right. Yeah, I said the, uh, I said a bridge too far. I meant the longest day. Yep, and then I made a note. They do show you the bridge today. The original Pegasus Bridge was replaced amid much controversy just a few months shy of the 50th anniversary of D-Day with a replica that could better handle the traffic. The original bridge was placed in a field within eyesight of the original location. And that bridge is scheduled to be the centerpiece of a new airborne museum. I wonder if they've got that made yet. Well, probably. I mean, this was 15 years ago. Yeah, planned opening for June 4th, 2000. Yeah, I'm thinking it's there. And we'll be going there when we get our battle trip planned. Yes. European battle trip. Yeah, we will. And we'll be taking how many? Ten lucky listeners we'll be taking (laughs) along with us. Yeah, yeah, we'll have a contest that no one will enter, like <laughs> yeah. all our contests, and then we won't have to pay a lot of airfare. Yeah. It'll just be us and Dennis Donovan. Yeah. Hey, speaking of that, folks, uh, October 31st ends the call-in and just say anything contest, and you're entered to win, if this is on the air before Halloween, it will be, right? Yes, you're it will. cool with that? Yep. Um, the prizes are fantastic. The The cards, the OBA cards. Oh yes, yeah. Those that's a great set. The China Burma Theater, India yep. Theater from St. Louis Club. Yep. A two F squads hat. Yeah. What? All the, if you if they want it instead of, <laughs> instead of the game or the cards. Yeah. There's going to be a big uh, rush for that. And I critical know. hit number one is available. Magazine. So you folks better call in quick. You just don't have to say a whole lot. Anything at all. You can say it in a scary voice if you like. And don't forget to buy your hat, please. Make a donation. $21. We'll send your hat right out to you. Yeah, and as you were saying about the uh, connection with the uh, longest day and stuff, uh, Brian Nels wrote this article behind the scenes 
uh, developer's notes. And he says, uh, we threw ourselves in research of this battle, tracking down information on German-British orders of battle, pouring over the maps and aerial photos, nailing down the terrain, weather, historical flow of the battle. Major Neil Stevens arranged for us to use the archives at the Imperial War Museum in London for some valuable hours. Well, that's pretty cool. That's very cool. Sorry. We took the ferry from Portsmouth to Ostraham and tooled around France in an English car on the right side of the road, but with the steering wheel on the wrong side of the car. We walked the battlefield with the playtest map in hand, checking line of sights. Wow. Huh? How about it? We knew we couldn't rely on the movie Longest Day. Tim's inspiration for this effort is the source and soon found that Ambrose's book wasn't completely reliable either. Some of the most useful information we received came in letters from Major John Howard, commander of the glider assault. How cool is that? That's very cool. Was that the correct answer? Yes. Do I get a prize for answering that correctly? You do. All right. And Colonel John Tillett, retired battalion adjutant. Adjutant? Adjutant. Adjutant. At the time of the battle and now curator of the Regimental Museum of the Oxfordshire and Buckinghamshire Light Infantry. And it was the aid. How do you get all that on a business card? That's a lot. Yeah. So amazing. Despite the conventional belief that the Germans counterattacked with Panzerkampfwagen's fours during their initial attacks, Major Howard confirmed to us that the vehicles were actually captured French AVs. How about that? (laughs) I mean, you just keep wowing me, Dave. this, This is. I want this job. That would be a good job. That would be a very good job. And hey, it's nice to read the tips from the ten- trenches, isn't it? Read us a tip. Can't say there's no tactical advice from the read two half squads. A hex side forming part of a wire location cannot be bypassed, neither in the hex with the wire nor in the hex it shares the hex side with the wire. So don't let your so keep that in mind when you're setting up your wire. Yeah. And another one on this next page. Don't let your opponent get too close with his white phosphorus FFE without taking the required morale check. Unlike other white phosphorus which only causes the morale check when it's placed. OBA causes the morale check whenever the vulnerable unit enters it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, you can do it on that really big, you know, what you, uh, blast area when you do the larger. Yeah. That would be covering a lot of areas. And we have some more scenarios. Scoby Preserves. Hey, that's a deluxe one. Oh, yes, it Lucky is. there. Yep. By Pete Schilling. We've interviewed him. Oh, Joy. Brian Yaus. Red Barricades. Oh, joy. Yes. What is the date on that one? That is October 1942. Okay. Now, where does that one take place? Red Barricades. Stalingrad. Oh, in Stalingrad. Okay. So you get a historical. Oh, yes. Okay. To add into your collection yeah. there. Kampf Group at Karachov by Vic Provost. Didn't we interview Vic? Yes, we did. Bunker. Yeah, we are just like the guys. Smashing the Third. The Way In. Kurt Schilling did that one. Round two, high tide at Hollingwell, and inhumane. That's a whole lot of scenarios, and there's probably more still coming. Yes, yeah, there are. Yeah, there are a lot of scenarios in this pack. And then an article by Kurt Schilling. Can you ever be sure? Historical research in ASL. And he writes a lot of words there. So how did Am- How was Ambrose's book not reliable? Ambrose was a little shaky, wasn't he? In a- I don't know if he was shaky. Well, he had that but... plagiarism deal on that oh, one book. I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. There really? was one. Well, I, th- I think what happened, you know, he relied a lot on interviews. And people don't always remember no, things correctly. accurately, or they'll make up stuff, or they'll embellish things, and that can throw things off. Yeah. That's... And now I know he cross references that with other interviews to see if they match up, but. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't know he got involved in some something unpleasant. Uh, a little, yeah. There was a little something there. I like this inhumane one uh, in Belgium. Yeah, 1944. Yeah, because they're flamethrower tanks. Oh, and the crocodiles? And you just oh, can't have enough of those. Fire crocodiles, yeah. Yeah. American at the British one. Yeah. Yeah. And Kurt points out in his article... That one of ASL's attractions, detail. If we didn't love detail, we'd still be playing Axis and Allies. To my mind, attention to detail extends to every aspect of ASL's system, from single-man counters to wind direction. Each of us finds interest in some 
or all of these parts. I love everything the system has to offer. The game's ability to leave one exhilarated after a last turn final roll win is extraordinary. But if I were to pick one thing that keeps my attention on ASL, it would be the history. The ability to extract details from an engagement and use them in a scenario is unmatched by any other game. True or false? Oh, well, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Though you can play ASL without knowing anything about history. Yes, you can. In fact, it's kind of what got me more interested in the history. Yeah. Now, reflecting on this issue, I don't know what issue, I didn't highlight that part, for a while led me to write this piece. I felt that an article discussing the problems in researching It's About Time, the scenario, might assist others interested in scenario design. During my correspondence with Sean and others, I learned many valuable lessons pertaining to historical research. Using two recent books written by World War II combatants as a springboard, I think there are some useful observations to be made. Oh, and then he has the list here. One, don't take personal accounts at face value, what we were just yeah. talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Two, do not base the scenario around a photograph. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, sometimes you don't really know where the photograph came from. I've seen them mislabeled. Well, yeah, that's true. But it's just a game. And it's just a and game. And the scenarios are not... I, I've got to think a lot of these scenarios are... They're based on actual events, a lot of them. But that's all. Yeah. Yeah, based on. They're based on. Right. And you don't play them the way the actual events happened. No. And so you're not really playing a historical thing. You, it, for it to be really historical, you'd play it exactly as it happened. Yeah, it would have a lot of special but, rules forcing certain things to right. happen. But since you don't do that, it's it's fantasy. So, I, you know, he kind of makes good points, but there's also part of me that thinks, yeah, okay, don't worry about it. It's a game. That's me. That is you. All over. And, of course, the most fantastic by Tom Rapetti, comprehensive route example. You must read this, folks. It's appeared somewhere else since here, since then, right? I've yeah. Seen it somewhere else. Is it in the rule book now? Yes, it's in the, the comprehensive book now. That would be, like, yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. And read it. It's it's. I just love it. And it, I, every time I read it, I'm, I find something else that yeah. I'm like, oh, forgot about that yes. detail. Yeah. Uh, some notes I I made. I think he's saying if it's out of line of sight of someone, it still remembers seeing them, so it can't go toward them. So it'll be eliminated for failure to route. Uh, the broken squad in L8 must route since it's in the same hex as an unbroken known enemy unit. And not in melee. You must route out of a... Oh, yeah, they're in the same hex, but they're not in melee. That's where I, I, I always treat like close combat the same as melee, I think. So I think I screw that up a lot. Another one started in the route phase in open ground, line of sight, and normal range of a known enemy unit. It then becomes DM and must route. Did you know they become DM? I did not know that. And another sample. So uh, Broken Squad in S5 is DM, but it's not required to route since it's not adjacent to an unbroken known enemy unit. If it wanted to route, it could not route closer to a known enemy unit. And the 447 and R5 were to voluntarily drop its concealment or have it stripped by the squad routing from p5 the squad and s5 would then have no route options and would be forced to surrender oh that's the trick about dropping your concealment to become a known enemy unit there's strategic oh, times you do that yes. when people are routing right i wish i thought of that yeah i know um bob holmes from had done that and was telling me about a game where or he did it to me or something oh that's worse so there's a strategic time that you can drop or not drop so they can route toward concealed guys Yes. Yeah. Because right. they're, they're not known enemy units. Right. Yeah. And then we kind of get near the end here. Jim Stoller. We interviewed him, didn't we? Yes, we did. Doing his updates of these classic scenarios. And boy, Jim writes a ton of stuff. Chestnuts of Iron, the capture of Balta. Russian analysis, general analysis, German analysis. I mean, he really, really gets into some detail. I did not highlight anything in this either. Oh. Looks like I did a little thing here. Remember, a demo charge is a threat. They can be used by a single-man counter with no penalty, since all single-man counters are elite. They can also be used by non-elite squads and half-squads as well. 
Oh. The penalty is a reduction. Now, I, I guess over the years I've just started saying, oh, they can't use it because they're not an elite. Yeah. So I got, I'm wrong on that. Gosh, you're probably teaching me the wrong way. Oh, I'm, I know I'm teaching <laughs> That's why you have Rich Spilkey. Yeah, that's true. And then you yeah. got your the rewrites capture of Balta by Jim Stoller of, a, of an old squad leader game. It's got that old artwork. Oh, yes. I don't remember. Yeah. Real stark black and white in it. Nocturnal attrition. Uh, it's the desert board, it looks like, 25. Uh, Love at First Sight, another one for Pegasus Bridge. Mm-hmm. And an article on jump training. Oh, I got to read that. Simon Spinetti. Pair drops. This article aims to provide ASL player with a sequence version of Chapter E, Rules on Airdrops. It also contains a few tables that summarize some of the information provided. After reading this article, you should feel confident about jumping out of a plane. So he's got it broken down into pre-game prep, what you do in the rally phase, what you do in each phase of the game. Okay. Very nice. Highly recommend that one. And another one by Matt Shostak. Zen and the Art of Using Armor. Oh. Just looking to see that uh, this journal is still available. I'm just going to check the price because that's a lot of good stuff. It is a lot of good stuff. While you're looking, um, Matt's pointing out all these other articles on. Yeah, still available for $50. $50? Yeah. Did it have counters in it, did it say? Uh, let's see. It comes with a full-size 22-inch by 32-inch historical map of Kakazu Ridge, Okinawa. Two counter sheets. Yeah, I thought so. And some necessary rule book pages. Yeah, I thought so. That's a great... I think they had to do the Japanese because it wasn't available. And a ton of scenarios, like 20, yeah. 22 scenarios. Yeah, it's a ton. So a ton of scenarios. And you get, again, some for Pegasus Bridge, yeah. one for Red Barricades. So they're spread out really well throughout yeah. the different game systems. Great. For uh, $50, that's a good deal. Yeah, Matt's pointing out that the Panzer Gagan Panzer article by Bruce Bakken in the 93A annual, Stop and Go Traffic in the 96th annual. What do you do if you have a tin can? David Ollie. Remember, we did that in Journal 1 last yeah. year. And uh, some out-of-print backblast articles, Dance with the Tiger by J.R. Van Mechelen, Panzer, Gegen Sherman, Rodney Kinney, uh, to look up if you want to read articles about using your tanks. Using what? Tanks. You're welcome. Airdrop scenarios in ASL. But I'm bum Oh, on the Sutter page, I thought I'd mention them. You got a desperate affair, G39. Airborne Samurai, Japanese versus mm-hmm. Dutch, A85. Grab it, Grabovo, Vobo, G10. Rachi Ridge, 36. Night Drop, A76. Hunters from the Sky, T12. That had an airdrop. Hmm, yeah. And back to the armor article then. Um, it's like I highlighted one little section here. To harm an AFV with CC reaction fire, the squad must first pass a patsy and then attack the tank with a base close combat value of 5 modified by a net plus 1 tower modifier. Neg 1 for street fighting, plus 2 for motion vehicle. Even such non-overrun situations are handled by the overrun flow chart in Action Pack 2. The odds of passing a patsy and then rolling a 4 or less are pretty slim. In addition, if the squad fails its patsy, it's pinned. Compounding its troubles. If a 9-neg-2 leader is stacked with the squad, however, the situation gets much riskier for the tank, of course, because a roll of 7 or less harms it. Late war Germans with their nearly ubiquitous Panzerfaust and anti-tank magnetic mines are obviously much more difficult to suppress with this method. Clearly troops with better morale fare better in the Patsy, asking them more dangerous, making them more dangerous foes. Early war troops, particularly those of minor nations, are saddled with a plus 1 to their Patsies making them vulnerable to close combat assault by tanks. Although the risk is entirely situation-dependent, the basic premise that armor can suppress enemy infantry by moving on top of them holds true, and it's worth it to send a tank into a very risky situation to exhaust the enemy's fire opportunities and gain some freedom of movement. I think I don't give a lot of thought to that morale when I'm sending the tank somewhere. No, I don't either. And I think we should. Yeah. We should, and be very wary of these negative leader leaders. A perfect scenario for Halloween. The Panzer Graveyard. 
by Chas Smith. Mm -hmm. I don't remember this one. J32, Siam Samble. Cambodia, 1941. Cambodia. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, and I highlight a little bit more in the uh, tank article. Let's talk a little more tactics here. A gyro-stabilized gun can gain and retain acquisition for motion attacks. See how valuable this is. Consider a crew-exposed Sherman moving against a panther, entering a location six hexes away, from which he has a side shot at the panther. Having spent four movement points in the line of sight, the panther does not shoot or change cover arc because the Sherman's still moving, and the panther does not know that Sherman has a gyro. Sherman announces a bounding first-fire shot. It needs a seven to hit the panther. Ten base, plus four for case C4. Neg one large target. That's pretty good odds. Another tactic that can pay off is using high explosives against them. If a behemoth, big, big tank, is crew exposed, the high explosives hit could stun or kill the crew, yeah. of course. Even buttoned up, however, these big tanks are vulnerable to high explosive shots using the area target type. Why? Because it uses the IFE, IFT to determine the effects versus an armored target. A final KIA would destroy it. And a final dial that's a K-slash number or one greater than a K-slash causes automatic shock turret hit or a mobilization, a hull hit. So even a lowly light mortar has a reasonable chance of knocking out a powerful tank such as a panther? Mm. No. We're going to say no. We're going to say no. That's April Fool. April Fool. But a light mortar goes on the two chart. Yeah. To get a KI, you're talking a rolling a two or three. Yeah. To get a result, I think, without checking our charts. However, something to, to look at, something to consider. And it's well, what else, if you got your mortar and there's no infantry coming anyway, what what else you got to shoot at? Maybe. Hmm. When I see them coming, I run. Yeah. And he's talking a lot about the tactics here of doing that motion attempt status, right? When the enemy's coming at you with your tank, right? Which again, Bob really was teaching me a lot about that. Um, this, this alone makes hit possibilities of the Panther considerably smaller because it takes away a point-blank bonus and attacks on a plus-two motion. So it's got a double effect. You're not point-blank if it's in motion. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes, and you can check a Spilkey chart for that. He's got a chart specifically for in motion, stopped. Oh, yeah. Moving. Having moved. Is is it uh, eligible for point-blank or not from all different so- sorts of things, from AFVs and light anti-tanks and... Machine guns and everything. Yeah, and, and he's pointing out, go for that smoke dispenser after the motion attempt and succeed in putting a plus two smoke in your hex. Oh, yeah. Now the panther needs a two to hit. You've turned certain death by a panther into almost certain survival. Moreover, the motion attempt allowed you a free covered arc change, and you were smart enough to position your Sherman so you can exit the panther's covered arc. <sighs> yeah. I, I don't, I, 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 you know, we we just have to practice doing this yeah. kind of stuff a lot. But that's a standard thing that Bob would do. Then. And wrapping up here, an article on tactical examples by Chaz Smith with the same kinds of um, um, tips in it. So these are a couple of great articles about uh, maximizing the use of your AFVs. Yeah. And maximizing and, your ways to destroy AFEs. And the Chaz article must, must read. Talking about the, another way to combat an awesome German AFE is to use a freeze by parking an AFE in the enemy's hex. Have you ever taken your tank into your enemy's tank hex? Well, it, it freezes it like uh, infantry. I guess I know. So never... it can't fire outside, but can't it fire at me? It can. Then, like if I fire, in his example, he's using the M5A1 Stewart which can prevent a panther from firing out of, out of its location by entering through the side-covered arc and staying in the location. But couldn't it turn and fire on me then? It can. He goes on, he says, Since the steward could kill the panther from the side with an original five-to-kill-die-roll, it's allowed to stay in the location with the panther. The M5A1 is a good choice for this mission, being a small target and more difficult to hit. 
with a greater likelihood of getting into the hex, surviving, and freezing the panther. Another AFE, preferably a Sherman, can then approach the panther from the side or rear, get an adjacent, get adjacent, and stop. The panther has no options because it cannot shoot out of its, out of its hex, hex, except to possibly go in motion if the steward or Sherman entered its line of sight during this turn. But so it can't fire outside of its hex, but couldn't it fire? Yeah, it can try and kill the tank in its hex, but I think there's a big plus on that. For firing at something so close. I think. Yeah. That could be if it's got a minimum. Yeah, if it's got a, we should get one out. Yeah, still a tactic I never ever to think to freeze a vehicle with a vehicle. Right. So I guess I thought I should point that out to everybody. Yeah. And that wraps up Journal 2. And again, you can get Journal 2 on the Multiman Publishing website for a mere $50 plus $45.22 for shipping. And I was thinking, Dave, as I was going through this and the the many journals and things that you have, wouldn't it be great if there was somebody had a list, an index, if you will, of all of the articles and all of the magazines about ASL? Yes. So I'm thinking of doing it. By topic? Yeah. The title, the year, the author, the publication, and the page. Oh, wait. Somebody already did it. Who was that? I'm not sure, but I found it on... The Board Game Geek website. Okay. And I have now, I I will go back in here and put whoever assembled this. If, if I can find their name, I'll put it on here. But you'll also be able to get this in the show links. I have a PDF version. It's 10 pages long. It goes from... There's quite a lot of <laughs> From this year, Special Ops 6, and lists title of all the articles, who wrote them, what it's in. So stuff here from Special Ops, Out of the Attic, all the journals, the... The generals? Let's see. I'm going back. Yes, generals, the annuals, Does it have the vegetables, <laughs> the minerals. Does it have kinetic energy and stuff or uh, um, all I'm those fanzines? I'm not seeing that. No, and these are all from official, Okay, I believe, uh, official Avalon Hill or MMP publications. So just annual, general, et cetera, yeah. as I mentioned. Yeah, that would so be very handy. dozens of articles, 10 pages. There's probably, there must be 300 articles easily on this so we'll put that on our show notes then you can gather all those things up and is that a wrap for tonight i think that's a wrap that's a very scary wrap for a very scary story you know let me tell you something about world war ii and halloween Uh uh-huh they put it on hold during world war ii halloween wasn't that big of Big oh. a deal before World Wait, War II I thought anyway. You meant they put the war on hold. They did. So everyone they could, could celebrate yes, Halloween. Yes, so could go trick-or-treating. No, because of the sugar shortages Yeah, during the war. Makes sense. During uh, From about 41 to 45, 46, even to 47, there was not much Halloween going on. And so there aren't a lot of Halloween stories to tell about World War II. And that's why. Well, that would explain it. Yeah. Wow. So if you really need to know something about... You need some ASL on Halloween, just listen to the two half squads. That's your only option, yeah. folks. Otherwise, you can get a copy of Weird War comic <laughs> yeah, book. I know. I've got a few issues here. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Are we wrapping up, Dave? We're going to wrap up now and say goodbye, everybody. You know what that means, Dave? Time to say, roll low. And rally well. But, but not, not when, when you're, you're playing, playing us. us. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and ooky. They're all together spooky. The two half squads. Their house is a museum where people come to see them. We really are a scream. The two two half squads. Look at this weird war thing. Frankenstein, Wolfman, Hitler in the corner. What's not to love? It's weird. It's weird war. We're gonna pay a call on the two half squads. <laughs>